0: This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co founder and co host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership
1: podcast, I want to welcome ATN Hardre. ATN, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks very much. Hey, you Happy guys are going
1: to, oh, well, I'm glad you're here. You guys are going to love this interview. Um, Steve Ryder worked with ATN when you guys were both at Family Talk with Dr. Dobson. And at the time, you were in there to, to do some financial work, and, and I got to talk with ATN before we started. And I love, ATN, how you describe yourself. You're an entrepreneur. You're currently the CEO of Locals Shop and Salon, something you're doing now. And this is, you know, this is a big theme of what this podcast is all about and then embodies. And uh, what we talked about and what you shared, what I love, is that you see yourself, you're a professional minister, but you're operating, you know, in the marketplace, in the business world. And your goal is to build the kingdom of God, make the world a better place, give people second chances. And I love your heart. And and everybody listening, there's so much depth to this story uh, that you're going to hear and what you're going to learn Uh, From Etienne. So, Etienne, thank you so much for making the time today and and being a part of the podcast.
2: My pleasure. Absolutely. Well, for
1: people to get to know you, here's how I'd love to start: is just share a little bit about your journey. You know, growing up, uh, what's happened, and what's developed to, you know, gotten to, you know, where you're at today.
2: Um, Yeah, that could, yeah, John, that could be a long, long story. But I'll I'll give the highlight version. Okay. Um, I grew up in a broken home um, and I grew up in poverty and ultimately, the brokenness of that home led to me going into the juvenile justice system and ended up in foster care
1: so i 'm guessing so, you weren 't in the juvenile justice system as a counselor
2: <laughs> I was not a counselor no <laughs> i was i was a a member of the system i i 've done my time in locked cells um, I have done my time in psychiatrists offices I've done my time in groups of young men on work crews and and trying to figure out how to become um, actual functioning members of society again and uh, you know that it's a hard place to start it, it doesn't give you a whole lot of a firm foundation it's it's not like my parents launched me into college um, with uh, you know with their wind at my back. Many of the things that I ended up doing since then, I kind of feel like I had to start over in many, many ways and do it all on my own. So.
1: Now, uh, how old were you when you, when you kind of start, kind of broke free of that system?
2: I had to age out of it. So here, here um, we age out of that system at 18. So at 17 and a half, I went to college and that's when the um, juvenile system kind of washed their hands of me. The, the, the foster care system stopped paying my foster parents and I was sort of on my own. So I did college. I worked through college. I um, uh, took out a ton of loans. You know, the government's happy to throw money at you as long as they get you for the rest of your life. But mm-hmm. from there, um, really at the end of that, right when I was graduating college i had i was i had just married my wife who i met there at college i'd worked my way through college i was getting two degrees and right at the end i went back to the system and i sort of applied to have my record expunged and i remember clearly the day when the judge had my this huge stack of paperwork on this on the same bench that i'd been sent into the system on. um she calls me to the front of the docket and she so says
1: this is the same courtroom where you got sentenced
2: yeah, that's right. Wow. She calls me to the front of the docket and she goes, you know, I've got this petition here. We've got all this all this material that your counselors and parole officers and all those people have, have sent in on your behalf. And she says, you're a model example of exactly um, what we hope the system does. And you should be very proud of yourself. I'm granting your petition. And bam, the hammer comes down and I got to start of my life from fresh. I got to start brand new. It was like being resurrected.
1: You know, what was that perspective though? I mean, that's a a transition not a lot of people make And you know, even outside of, you know, being in, in the juvenile detention system. There's a lot of, a lot of us that have, you know, grown up with brokenness, things that we're ashamed of, things that we wouldn't want to share with anybody. Um, and where were you atn that really allowed you to almost make that transition into a very different mindset than what put you in there
2: um you know i got i got lucky in that i went in very early so i went in at 12 and this is this is a kid's formative years you know so it's not like it's not like i had a lifetime of this stuff um Shaping who I was really my life was formed in the fire of this system And so God really broke me down. He broke me down 12 13 14 years old And by the time I turned maybe 16 he was starting to rebuild who I was Um, In college there was a clear moment when God called me back to himself He said okay look you've been kind of mucking around with this college thing you've been doing whatever you think is good it's time to come back to me and I remember being in the car and literally just switching my my radio to Christian music instantly and going to church that weekend again and um, so he had that process happened over many years but when the timing was right he brought the hammer down on me so to speak and said it's time you need to get up and begin walking and I got up and began walking now, after that, of course, um, life has not been roses, it's, it's been very difficult really to try to figure out who I am today, but since that moment in the courtroom, it's all been a long walk in the same right direction, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, and what, what do you think allowed you to make that decision, that was a conscious decision to get up and start walking on a new path? <sighs>
2: You know, that's that's a good question, John. Um, It there's something in me that um, will not back down from a challenge. Mm. There's something in me that believes bigger, that believes, you know, it's stuff that's that overcomes. There's something in me that sees a world that ought to be good and right and fair. And I've got this deep sense of justice. And so um, having been part of the problems in the world up until that point in my life, I was really sick and tired of myself. Mm. And when God says to me, you got this, I'm going to prove my power through you. I just believed him and said, "Okay, I've really got nothing to lose my life up until this point. It hasn't really been in my control to begin with. Um, so whatever you give me, I'll take. And that's where I started.
1: And what what did those next small steps forward look like?
2: Well, it was simple stuff, you know. I um, I moved from Oregon to Las Vegas with my wife, and we basically started a brand new life after college. Um, and I started working at, you know, started putting my degree to work at just low-level entry-level um jobs. And I began volunteering at my church. And that was a really cool opportunity. That was, that was probably the first test that God had answered my prayer. I'd always wanted to be a worship leader. I, I learned guitar for the purpose of being a worship leader, but I also had this challenge that, um, nobody would give me any authority and responsibility because of my past. And so, especially not a leadership position in the church. In fact, my father had been sort of thrown out of our church because of his failures. And so I had this shame hanging over my head that I was never going to be worthy. Mm-hmm. And um, in Las Vegas, I met a, a, a guy who has become one of my best friends and mentors, and he's now um, launched a church himself and is a senior pastor uh, in California. And I met him and he was at the time the children's pastor for the fifth and sixth grade at this rather large church in Las Vegas. And through just a series of events, I got connected with him, ended up in his Bible study group and asked him if I could volunteer for him and work with him. And he says, well, I need a worship leader. And I said, that's amazing. Really?
1: Huh? Well, I know, I know a guy that could do that.
2: (laughs) And, but, but right there, um, the shame hit me like a brick wall mm. and I broke down in tears and I said look I gotta tell you something if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this right and I tell him my whole story everything all those things you talked about you said how, how we have things in our past that we don't want to share to people I had met this guy maybe a month been in a bible study with him you know. and I'm in a new, new city I'm in a new state I don't know anybody here and it's just me and my wife trying to figure things out and I lay myself bare to him, and I say, this is who I am. I've come out of this, the judge says I'm good, you know. I, I have accomplished the things that the state set out for me, yet, if you don't want me to lead these kids in worship, then I totally understand. He takes that to his leadership, and his leadership at the time said, hey, you didn't make the call, man. Like, go for it, you decide if you wanna work with this guy. And he did, and so for four years, we built that ministry, he and I, side by side. Um, We had almost a thousand kids a weekend when we were done. We were doing five services a weekend. I had a full band of kids that we had trained how to play. Um, And that really was the first brick laid down in the path forward where God says, look, I really meant what I said when I said I'm gonna make a new man here. I'm gonna give you a new life. And so that was the first thing that said to me, "This is legitimate. I can take on positions of responsibility and authority. God will pave the way for me," and He did.
1: And you know, you shared something ATN I think is so powerful, and it's something in our society doesn't happen very often. And that is approaching our past, um, you know, with a humility and an authenticity to share with others, because when we Share that with others who are believers, um, mm-hmm. who can really listen. I think that that is when really the healing starts, the transforming of our mind toward the mind of Christ. And when we leave those things inside, um, you know, we use them against ourselves. It's not as much Satan using them against us and driving a wedge. It's we become our 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 own worst enemy. And when we air those out, uh, and I would just encourage people out there. If you have these things you know are holding your back or they're embarrassing or they're shameful, find a trusting relationship, a mentor, a a pastor that you you trust uh, in in whatever it is, sexual sin, abuse in your past, uh, things that you've done, because I I gotta tell you, getting that out um, and airing it out is the beginning of a very powerful healing process.
2: I couldn't say it better myself. You know, I've learned something about the devil over the years. He's a liar, and he—the biggest conflict I have in my days, even today, in my in my struggle with righteousness—is whether or not I'm going to believe the lie or whether I'm going to believe the truth that Jesus says about me. When He says, "My blood covers your sin, and I forgive you," am I going to believe it? Because even today, as an entrepreneur. I stumble, I fall, I make bad decisions, I do things that feel like setbacks. Can I get back up and do it again? Can I get back up and learn from my lessons and do it again? Or am I going to sink into the shame that says, you're not worthy, you're inadequate, you don't have what it takes. These are all lies that are spoken to us. And I think the biggest cause of my success today is that I have overcome the lie. I have refused to believe the lie and I believe the truth that God has said about me in his word. And that gives me the the power to get up tomorrow and do it again.
1: Now think about this too, because a big focus of, you know, what we always talk about is leadership, entrepreneurship, you know, bringing our ministry into the marketplace. And how did that process help you, equip you um, to move into that, that sphere of influence?
2: Yeah, so it was very deliberate for me. Um, so here I am, being the being the worship pastor at this church and in a volunteer position, but also entry level positions in the marketplace. So I have two degrees. I have one in computer science and I have one in accounting. So I became a CPA at the same time, just because it's sort of the next thing accountants do. It's like getting an MBA or something like that. Um, there's no sense in getting an accounting degree, really. I think unless you're gonna go all the way and and get all the, the licenses that you can and you know I don't really use my CPA license much anymore but you know, it was still a good experience nevertheless here I am entry-level positions I wasn't very satisfied in the marketplace but I was seeing all this fruit in my service in the ministry and I sat down with God and I said hey Lord w- you know if I'm supposed to be sold out for you If my whole life is supposed to be dedicated to you, then shouldn't I get rid of this marketplace stuff, this this business stuff, and just spend all my time in the church? And he very audibly said to me, no. He says, I can raise up missionaries to go a lot of places in the world. I can teach them cultures, I can teach them foreign languages, but I cannot send missionaries very easily into one part of the world, and that is this upper middle class, entrepreneurial sphere. He says, I need your pedigree, I need your resume and your experience to match that of an upper middle class entrepreneur. Somebody who's been there, done that, thinks like that, talks like that, looks like that kind of person because that's the only person they're gonna listen to. And I said, okay, great, let's do that. Thereafter, all of my decisions started following around how am I going to become a minister, a missionary in the marketplace. I went to mergers and acquisitions and learned everything that was about buying and selling companies. I um, began rapidly um, switching different industries, so I learned, I grew um, in different industries, so I was able to have a broad spectrum of knowledge. And then I started getting back into early stage startups. Um, I uh, have done dozens of startups as um, outsource CFO or as the capital raising kind of financial advisor to the team. Um, I've done dozens of them here in Colorado now and um, learned a ton from them and learned how to integrate God's word into the management of a business and into starting a business. And through all that whole process, I ended up finally getting to a point where I felt like I had learned everything I needed to learn. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I felt like the next gig I was gonna do was gonna be mine. You know, the big one, the one that I had been preparing for for years.
1: Yeah.
2: Only problem was, six months into looking for mine, looking for my next big gig, I, I was running out of money and I had nothing. I had no idea what I was gonna do. I'd been sitting around for six months trying to figure out what the next gig was gonna be. I'd already won Young Entrepreneur of the Year. I'd been named as, you know, somebody who shaped Colorado Springs in 2012 along with these famous people. I'd done all this stuff, but I didn't have anything that I could call mine. I didn't have any platform, I didn't have any sphere of influence really, like that was mine. I was kind of, I felt like I'd hit uh, I don't know, doldrums, you know. right in the middle of my career. Here I am, it, it, nothing. I got nothing. So I sat there and asked God, look, Lord, okay, you've taught me everything. Here I am. I'm ready to go. What do you want me to do? And again, God comes through and he says to me, no, you're not going to get off that easy. What do you want to do? He says, I've, I've sent you around the world. I've given you all this experience. You've seen a thing or two. What do you think the world needs?
1: See, I think what you said is such an important takeaway for people, because I really I am convinced that God sows these passions in our life, these values, mm-hmm. if we look at our these bright moments in our life, these things that just bring us alive, it mm-hmm. is such clear guidance to inform us on what we sh- you know what we want to do God wants to give us the delights of our heart as long as that's in alignment with something that's going to build the kingdom and edify God, and when those two right. come together. Um, you know, That's what God was saying to you is, you know what? Hey, you know what? Tap into what you're passionate about because that's going right. to be that energy in the tank. And I want to be your partner in moving into this. I've equipped you. What is it? Right. And let, let's air this out together. It's, I think a lot of people almost have this mindset that this calling, this purpose, this direction they need to be going in. Um, ATN is like this. It's something buried deep down inside of them and they they don't they're not equipped to dig it out and they get frustrated because they're on this plateau and they yep. feel like they're not ready or they haven't put in enough work or time but it, this is actually about just a subtle mindset shift of saying you know what it's actually pretty easy to get to god's given us everything we and, and equipped us to start moving in that direction and that sounds like that was the conversation he had with you
2: That's exactly right. See, I'm convinced that God does not make broken people. And so that means that the person he originally made us to be, um, when he originally made us, before we broke ourselves or somebody else broke us through our circumstances or our experiences in life, those, those people do end up broken. But God did not make us broken. He made us with our skills and our passions and our giftings in order to bless the world, in order to help him build the kingdom of God, in order to reach lost people, in order to do a whole ton of cool stuff. And so if we look back on those things and figure out, okay Lord, uh, if he who began a good work in me will be faithful until the end day to complete it in us, then even all these things like me going through the juvenile justice system and all these startups that I would started that didn't really seem to go anywhere, all these things ultimately must be building me into the kind of tool you're going to use in the future. So that's kind of what I did. I actually went through this process with him and I came up with four distinct things that I needed in my next gig in order for it really to – perfectly aligned with what everything I thought God had done for me already and what I hoped God would do for me in the future. So I came up, I, I went through this process of self and came up with four specific items.
1: Etienne, what was that process you went through?
2: Yeah, it was really, you know, I, I've done a lot of the, I've done a lot of the finder tests and I've done a lot of the like Kiersey Temperament Sorter, but more than anything, I guess I just pay attention. Um... I try to learn everything I can learn. When something fails, I try to sit down and think about it and say, you know, what went wrong there? What could I do better if I was doing it next time? I look at the people in authority above me when I have managers and I say, what do I like about this person or what do I not like about this person? How are they tapping in and making me come alive or how are they not? How are they um, helping me to help this organization or how are they holding me back and I feel like I can't add to this organization? Through all of those things, it kind of comes together and I'm able to sit down and bring all that stuff that I've learned up onto the table and sort of just sit through it mentally, get some quiet time away, spend some time in the Word, a lot lot of prayer. And I actually, during this specific time, went on a 40-day fast um, with this pastor friend of mine, Kurt, that I told you about before. Um, he was launching his church at the same time and I was going through this process at the same time And we literally fasted for 40 days on a on a one of those limit limited dieting fasts um, And read the word every day and prayed together every day and right in the middle of that is when Sort of these four things began to come into focus for me.
1: And What, what were your four things if you don't mind sharing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the first item I needed was that I needed to have a team around me. Um, I learned from some of my startups, sometimes I was the only guy doing them, and I just don't function well unless I have a team. Somebody who does two things, first of all, shares my vision, um, I can share my vision with them, and second of all, keeps me on task. The more people I have around me, uh, the the more motivation I have to stay focused on the end goal. If it's just me, Even with my family, if it's just me, then I don't have quite as much motivation to really get up every day and grind it out. But when there were people around me, um, so uh, a team was the the primary thing that I I needed. The second thing was the sky had to be the limit on this idea, on this um, opportunity. Um, you know, so that left out things like geographically limited opportunities or franchises or things like that, right? Small ideas that other people had primarily developed and they, uh, you know, if I worked really hard at it, I could grow it to X, but probably not much more than that. That idea, that just doesn't work for me. I believe big things about the world and I I work hard. And so I needed my potential benefit to be limitless, really. The third thing, the third thing was I had been overseas and seen the world in some of my other startups. We did a startup where we built um, supply chains into um, third world countries. So East Africa, Southeast Asia, India. We sold solar lights and water filters and efficient brand cook stoves. And I had seen, first of all, the opportunity available out there, how easy it is to get to the world and to do business there. I had done manufacturing in places like China and Vietnam, and I had seen how easy it is to communicate now with Skype and things like that. Um, I needed, first of all, a way to go and bless those people in, in the hurting parts of the world, and second of all, Um, I really wanted to open my son's eyes to the world and I wanted to go there for more than just tourism or for more than just your mission trip tourism, if if you will. I wanted to go there for a reason that really mattered. So my next idea had to have something international as a component. Um, The fourth thing that I needed was every day there needed to be no difference between getting up and going to work and getting up and doing God's work. So my business had to be a daily opportunity for me to do God's work. It couldn't be something where I day traded online, made a bunch of money and then donated it to the church on the weekends and kind of volunteered when I wasn't working. I I cannot separate in my life um, the idea of building God's kingdom and building an earthly kingdom. Those, they do not exist, in my, opi- in my opinion. There is no gap. There is no gulf between the sacred and the secular ministry work and vocational work. You are born, you are created in order to do God's work. And that happens sometimes in the marketplace, sometimes in the churches, sometimes in social work overseas, but in all cases, as you live and as you breathe and as you speak the words out of your mouth, everything is for the glory of God. And so I, I needed something where there was no gap and I could make a difference every day.
1: So you know, there, there's a real popular mindset about the separation between the secular and the sacred.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I believe that that is a false construct that we have created, especially as believers, it makes us ineffective outside of the walls of the church. and. Yeah. What, it, what does that look like? If, you know, you're talking right now, to, let's say, to somebody who's an entrepreneur, or they're running a company, or they're thinking about being an entrepreneur. What would you share with them about what that really looks like in practice?
2: Well, it's, it's as multifaceted as the character of God, and, and it will be as multifaceted as every person who um, you know, answers the call in the, in the space that they're in. For me, um, we pray in the barbershop, that we have every Thursday morning. And I invite my whole team to come pray with me. And I don't require it because 99% of them are not Christians. But uh, my manager's a Christian, and she comes and prays with me every Thursday morning um, for nearly two hours. And we pray for the needs of the team. We pray for former employees who have come and gone. Um, We pray for the needs of the business, that he would bless us with more resources because we want to do more for the kingdom of God. Um, right now, we're praying heavily for launching a new location. We're growing, so um, we have a lot of risks and stuff coming up, and um, man, we need to raise capital from from investors. And I mean, there's just everything. So we pray on a regular basis in the shop. This the second thing is to actually live out your business, not the way the world says to do business, and not with a timeline or a mindset like the world has. You, there are so many books and speakers, and you can go on TED Talks, and there are great podcasts, you know, like this one, but they all teach you how to do business from the perspective of the world. And they would advise things, if the world's perspective is true, then you want to do X. Like for example, if, there is no God and you provide everything, all your own happiness and all your own resources, then you ought to hoard all your wealth and you want to take advantage of every opportunity and you ought to maximize your return on financial investment and all these other kinds of things. But if there is a God and God has the cattle on a thousand hills and all of his resources are at our disposal as heirs, co-heirs with Christ, as adopted sons of that king, that that Manager if you will if, if he's the real CEO of the resources in the world and they are available to you Then you're gonna respond in a different way. You know, you don't have to be as afraid of things. You can take greater risks um, and That's one of the things honestly the take t- the risk-taking is the thing that God has taught me the most about but um, in I see this opportunity for us as Christian entrepreneurs to begin building things that are built on rock and not on shifting sand. Um, When we build things on the word of God, in a way that is God honoring, we become a testimony for an unbelieving world. And that will lead us to make decisions in our business that are counterintuitive from the world's perspective. For example, I had employees who robbed me as they were leaving to not sue them into oblivion is a godly decision and not a worldly decision. I have all the rights. They signed paperwork that says that they owe me money. I can sue them based on those agreements. But I chose not to. Why? Because every other voice in these employees' lives has probably been saying, you owe me, give it to me. Their whole lives. And now I am the only voice probably that has said to them, yeah, you owe me, but I'm forgiving that debt, the same way Jesus Christ forgave my debt. So now here I am, building a business that resonates with the rhythm of heaven, and doesn't resonate with the rhythm of the world.
1: And you know, a lot of these, you know, based on you know how we've been trained or brought up or learned business, it's counterintuitive, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. what what have you done, Etienne, Is you know when you get to these decision points to make sure that you just stay, you know, that that foundation continues to be on rock and you're not shifting over toward gravel or, or sand. Because, you know, a lot of us, I know in my, my you know, career in business as I started having bigger wins, bigger victories, bigger paychecks, um, I started giving myself the credit. And Perfect. I drifted away really from that true north of always focusing on being on the rock and I got to a place that was um really uncomfortable and mm-hmm. I had an accident that really reshifted things in my life and I don't in I don't want to have people to go through some just horrible life event because they got so far away from that true
2: north. Yeah. Yeah, we all need to learn the lesson, but um, the if you can learn from other people's lessons, it's a lot easier than having to go through the fire yourself. Um, the you know you gotta stay grounded in the Word with a healthy rhythm of your life that is non-negotiable. That the rest of your life really rotates around. And many good you know make your life great speakers will advise this, and they'll advise good rhythms of life that work for the world system. You know, uh, you can go on Facebook right now and probably see a million articles about, you know, as successful entrepreneurs do these five things every morning, that kind of thing. Well, what you need to do is you need to define your own five things that keep you grounded in, in the kingdom mindset, in God's way of doing things, and make those non-negotiable. So for me, I get up early in the morning and I read the Bible and I go into prayer and every time I get focused, I get hit with a, with a challenge to my leadership or a challenge to my uh, business management or a challenge to my business in general, I stop and I pray first. That's what I do. And that's worked well for me in several circumstances, like specific examples where I did not know what to do or how to approach somebody about this problem that we were having. And I sat down and I prayed and a couple of hours later, they called me and the problem is already dealt with. And it's just, I was blowing it up in my mind or they got some new insight that I wasn't aware of or all kinds of things. It's amazing. When I bought the business, um, I bought Locals Barbershop. It was a turnaround project. It was failing, it was bankrupt, it was um, like five or six months behind in landlord payments and the landlord was evicting him. And that's what I did. I said, I got into prayer and I said, hey Lord, this seems like the next big thing. If you want this to happen, these are the things that are gonna have to happen. I don't know where the money's gonna come from. Let's make this work. And less than a month later, I closed a deal. That's the fastest deal I've ever closed in my whole life. So the Lord has power. What we have to do is we have to constantly bring things to him. We have to let him into our business and resist the temptation, like you said, to to try to close the deal on our on our own, um, to try to because then we get the glory for it. And it's hard to turn around and give the glory to God if we haven't made him part of the process, part of each step all along the way so um yeah we're smart guys and we can learn a lot from books and we can learn a lot from our experience but the reality is God is smarter and we have to really approach him with the attitude that he's better at business he's a better manager he's a better communicator he's a better teacher he knows more about the situation than we know in everything those things are all true we know that when we're sitting in church but when we're sitting behind our desk we just get lost in the in the in the 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 monotony of daily life and we forget to go back to it so i say center our lives around this rhythm that keeps us focused on it the same way we would center our lives around a rhythm to become successful entrepreneurs we need to add that spiritual discipline to our lives
1: i think spiritual discipline is i I think you nailed it with that one and just keeping that front of mind and you know god is in the day-to-day but we forget that you know when you have to make Mm -hmm. decisions and hire and fire and pay your accounts receivable. But all of that you need to do to honor God. And the question is how you do that. And, you know, as we wrap up here, what I would just love just your final thoughts or takeaways for other people out there. They've listened to your story like, wow, this guy has come from this amazing past and he's just been out there um, succeeding, failing, succeeding as an entrepreneur. Just what advice would you give to those folks that really want to go you know, connect to what they're called to do and go build something, be that
2: entrepreneur. Yeah. The single biggest um, story in my life that has allowed me to have the courage to do this every day is the story of Peter walking on water. And I learned a few things about that. Um, first of all, that there were 11 guys sitting in a boat who did not walk on water. And you can read between the lines every one of them might have had the opportunity to say, Lord, call me out on the boat too and I've lived my life in such a way and I intend to continue living my life in such a way that I never miss an opportunity to walk on water with Jesus and the interesting thing about entrepreneurship is that it's all about risk you're taking a big risk and you're hoping for a big payoff and that's, that's a wise thing to do the interesting thing about Peter walking on water is though 11 guys were taking a bigger risk than Peter, because which is actually safer, a couple of planks between you and the bottom of the ocean or the hand of Jesus between you and the bottom of the ocean? Which is actually a safer condition to be in? I'd rather have the power of God between me and oblivion than any human-made construct, anything, even if I've built it myself. Um, And so entrepreneurship really is like that. If I follow God day after day after day, even if he leads me to some place where the world says, you're a fool, that's crazy, that's that's impossible, you're not gonna succeed, you can't pull it off, it costs more money than you have, you're not experienced enough, Um, they're gonna kill you. Whatever it is God has led me into, that's the safest place to be. And so for me, being an entrepreneur, it's, it's not that scary. It's, I don't see it as much of a risk, actually. Um, I'm walking with Jesus, wherever he goes, I'll go. Um, and I encourage every entrepreneur, anybody who feels the tug at their spirit from the Holy Spirit saying, come, let's go do something interesting. Let's go on an adventure together. Let's go do something that's way cooler than you know, all of that. Something that's worth writing a book or a movie about. Don't be afraid of that. Because he's got it, he has all the resources, he has all the power. If you have to walk on water or go into a lion's den or go into a fiery furnace, he he's done all that before. If we really believe all that, then he can take us to success in business as well.
1: Oh, that's beautiful, and I I love the energy behind that um, ATN because it's so true. And you know, the other thing I do is encourage people is get around people like ATN, get around you know in a Bible study where you can be mentored and find other people that have really, you know, have that mind that's just so connected to Jesus and just is transformed in that faith, just accepting, right? I I think of Ephesians 2.10, right? If we are, if first of all, if you accept that you're God's masterpiece (laughs) and that you're created new in Jesus, right? So, So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago, hmm. It's it's accepting this premise that, you know, what it, this vision, this dream that's in front of me. I am perfectly equipped right now to do that because God knew that this was going to be on my heart in this season of my life. And I'm and I'm a masterpiece and I'm prepared perfectly to do it, even if, you know, looking at it from a worldly view, I don't have mm-hmm. the money, the resources, the relationships, the connections um, but that is that secular view that's going to hold mm-hmm. us back from truly creating something meaningful in the kingdom that's impactful, that's significant. And that's right. that's, that's the mindset we're trying to help people make that shift.
2: That's absolutely right.
1: Well, ATM, thank you so much for your time. How do people either connect with you, get in touch with you if they if they'd like to do that?
2: Yeah, sure. My email address is the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's ATN, E-T-I-E-N-N-E, at localscut.com. And um, I've done lots of um, entrepreneurial, I guess, mentoring. I just love encouraging guys who have big dreams. So anybody's welcome to reach out to me anytime and, and connect with me.
1: Awesome, ATN, And I look forward to staying in touch and love to have you back on. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I just thank you so much for who you are what you're doing in this world your faith that you're just putting out there and your time today
2: it's been a pleasure john and thank you for making this great podcast i've, I've enjoyed lots of the other uh um, interviewees and i'm happy to be included
0: in that wonderful group
1: well thank you man i'll put you at the top of the list my friend <laughs> thanks john all right see you brother
0: Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online at MarketplaceRock.com or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, MarketplaceRock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.